Hello and welcome back to Multimodal. I'm your host, Baxter Future. Uh, this is a podcast about GPT-3, Multimodal AI, OpenAI, which is a company that makes all these awesome AI models. If you've been following my podcast, my newsletter on Twitter, my YouTube, you know I'm everywhere. But if you've been following those things, you know lately I've been heavily focused on GPT-X, DALI, and our multimodal future. This is a series uh, I've been working on. It's about 19 videos. I spent four months working on it. Uh, you know I've been focused on releasing those as well as all the other parts of that rollout, whether it's newsletter pieces, art pieces, um, tweets, whatever. You know that I've been busy with that. But today I wanted to take a break uh, because I'm really excited. We have a guest here who's a close personal friend of mine. Uh, we used to be coworkers and uh, I, I wanted to have him on because he, he is a technologist. Uh, he's very progressive, not just socially, but in other areas as well. Technologically, he's big on the environment. Uh, he's a good guy um, and he is running for office. He's running as the NDP candidate for the riding of York Center. If you don't know, uh, me and him are, are based in the greater Toronto area in Canada. Um, and uh, I, I have him on to just chat about, uh, you know, what is it like for him? Why is it important for technologists to run for office? I wanted to chat with him about housing. This is an issue that I've talked about before on the podcast, which I'm really passionate about. Uh, his name is Kamal Ahmed. Uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go over to him in just a sec, but I, I just I, I do want to underscore again. He's you know very talented web developer, entrepreneur. Accessibility is something he really cares about. Uh, he went to McMaster University. He's mentored people uh, who uh, who you know want to get into tech or into startups, uh, those kinds of things. People younger than us. Uh, and finally, I know him up close and personal, like in, in a real way. And so I also know all the little things he does because he actually really cares about the environment. He really lives his truth. He's not just somebody who does it just just for the appearance of it. And maybe I'm hyping him up a little bit too much. But <laughs> anyways, uh, uh, so yeah, I had a few questions. And Kamal, thank you so much for being here. Why don't you go yeah, ahead and introduce thank you yourself? Thank so much. Yeah, my name is Kamal. Uh, yeah, you had an amazing intro there that covers a lot of things it covers you know um i've been using software to solve problems that's why i started getting into tech i mean i am the type of person who i was taking apart vcrs and stuff when i was two years old so i guess yeah i've always been in the technology space and so it was very natural when I went to university to do software engineering and uh, it's such a great, amazing tool to solve problems. And I, one problem that I really was attracted to for uh, the part of my career when I was working with Bax was accessibility, as he said. And uh, yeah, like, because I'm, I am disabled, I have my own disability, I have ADD. And uh, so I empathize with other people with disabilities. And so when I'm helping people, I feel good about it. I, I like to do it. And it's something that I'm personally vested in. So uh, when, I, um, when I started getting into politics, it was a natural thing to say, well, okay, I can help people with disabilities as well as um, you know, some of the more important problems that we're facing right now, or 
when I got into things, it was the environment was basically humans' hardest problem to face. So that is something which I think, you know, I try and embody. Like I see something that's wrong in my behavior and then I say, well, let's, let's work to fix that. Even though, uh, you know, you know, our personal impact is not going to be as much as if we try and fix corporate impacts. But anyways, that's, uh, what, that's why politics was really a natural thing. And when, um, the opportunity arose in January, I put my name in the pot because this is a really challenging time in the the world that we're dealing with COVID-19 and, um, you know, the economy is exploding and housing prices are getting very, very high. Rent is going up and y you and I, like we, we're living this because we are, we're millennials. We have, we have yet to start a family and we're, you know, we're just in our, we're just watching as our futures are slowly becoming less feasible. This, the, the Canadian dream, I guess you could say, is becoming less reachable. Yes. And so, you know, it's, it's obviously, you know, very brave. I, I want to commend you for stepping up to, uh, to try and improve the world using the existing systems that we have. Um, you mentioned this idea of the Canadian dream. Um, I am a little bit skeptical about that idea, but, um, you know, in, in some ways we do romanticize the past, but like, I, I, I mean, I have some experiences to share as well, if we're talking about this notion of the Canadian dream, but, uh, why don't, why don't you share with, with some of the people, what is it like right now for people who are really struggling, right? Like how bad are things really? And by the way, you know, a lot of the audience is, is not Canadian. So like, you know, we will like describe it in a, in a Canadian context, the things that we're going through, which is probably different from what they might be going through where they're based. Yeah, I think, and it is largely because of urban centers and uh, the fact that they are, um, people have just seen that, that, it, that real estate in urban centers can be used so much as an investment that it's and the fact that we we want to you know we want to expand our families we want to have people coming in and so that there has been increasing demand um and also shifting demand so although i would say that it affects you and i a lot here in toronto as it is uh, an urban center it's also actually affecting cities across the nation because uh, people, I mean, they, they tend to stay within Canada usually when they're moving out because they, they like Canada and they can retain their jobs. And now that things are going remote, you can still live in the country and keep your old jobs. And unfortunately, that's causing rural uh, real estate to go up as well so if you are on disability and you needed to go to a rural space because that's the only place you can afford 
that now you're kind of in trouble because if you didn't own the place, then your rent's probably going to go up because you're now competing with uh, people who used to work and live in Toronto and or Vancouver and are now moving out to have larger plots, um, enjoying more green space and just, yeah, spreading out now that we have the luxury to do that. But that still isn't even enough to handle this very, very large demand and this incredible spike of um, prices. Yeah, investment plays a role. I, I think there is something about age demographics as well. Um, you know, for, for whatever reason, housing has become a nest egg for people who are baby boomers, right? Like it is, it is their retirement plan, right? And housing, you know, in my view, should be someplace you live, right? Like it shouldn't be a category like the stock market or something, right? Like like a house should not be like shares and and Google. Um, I mean, I also find it really interesting just the returns on housing, right? Like it's disproportional. Like what was the point of having a job if you could have just owned a home in the GTA, the greater Toronto area, and it's gone up regularly, like 50K a year for the past 20 years, right? Like it's almost you're disincentivized to work and com contribute meaningfully to the economy. You might as well just own real estate. Um, and, and, and what is somebody what is somebody who owns a home really contributing to society, right? Like. Like you and I, we work in web development. We create real web platforms. Uh, I, can't, I can't obviously, uh, we're both under contract, but you know, we contribute to some very large public sector clients, right? And these are helping everyday people uh, interact with the government and get services, right? Um, well, I mean, why is that pr not priced at, at a, you know, uh, some kind of crazy growth every year reliably for the past 20 years? Uh, same with nurses, right? Same, same, with, same with firefighters, same with teachers. There's certain segments of society which are being economically incentivized. And maybe part of it is just scarcity, right? But I don't know. Programmers are also pretty scarce. Yeah, right? and it's, it's not to say that there's no need for those other things. Like, those are essential services. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, housing is definitely an essential service. And But, yeah, since, yeah, we, we like to think of it as something which is for families that, People, you build a, your little nest and you, you grow it to, to fit your, your needs, but it's now become, yeah, like an asset that is like a tradable asset that you just need to have in order to keep up with uh, what's probably going to not only affect, well, not probably it's definitely going to affect the inflation of of all sorts of prices so food prices have gone up to to keep up with that as well as even dev prices have gone up in the past few years because of housing prices going up you know if you have more expensive real estate then you have to you have to the things become more expensive to do so yeah yeah employers have to pay more in, in many ways it's like silicon valley right like you have to pay somebody 150k a year plus just so they can rent a place and even then they're still like very poor right like they simply cannot afford to ever uh have a place of their own and rid themselves of very high rent fees um i i wanted to 
you know, for, so for a lot of people who are older, I've, I've had conversations with people who are maybe Gen X and usually boomers, and they are so surprised how hard it is as a millennial. Like, we're, we're, we're doing okay, you know, just based on the industry we're in and our skills and all these other factors. But I, I, I was at a dinner two weeks ago, and I'm, I'm not kidding you, you know, these people are, are, are in a different income bracket, um, and their lives, I feel so bad for them. Like they told me plainly, you know, to my face, we had to leave the greater Toronto area. We're moving up north. What what used to be cottage country is is where we have to set up our lives, right? And, you know, we had to say goodbye in many ways to our parents, our grandparents, the neighborhoods we grew up in. Um, we, we would rather be closer to Toronto because we want to give opportunity to our kids or grandkids when they get older that they can always, you know, maybe get like a tech job or something. Uh, but... Uh, and on top of that, they, they don't have reliable income either. Like a lot of these jobs are either freelance or sort of part-time oriented and, uh, even just to save up and, and get the money together for a mortgage is really hard. And by the way, these were not like the bottom of the barrel people I went to high school with. I know that's not a, you know, politically correct thing. It's not nice to judge people like that. These were just normal people our age, right? And like times are just so bad. And I think... What I find so shocking about it is how little regard there is for this class of people, right? Like they are just so ignored, people our age. Like it's it's unbelievable, right? Mm-hmm. It's um, actually so, so important in, in, in my writing actually uh, because like as you said, people are, are getting split up and um, we have a, a large part of the writing that's very religious and if you look back in, in previous days, you would typically move to a place that's close to your place of worship, like whether it's a church or a mosque or a synagogue. And the reason being that on you know days of Sabbath or certain days where you're supposed to rest, uh, you it's very easy to get to those places by walking. Um, and and you build a community there. You're part of the community. And in this riding, we have a lot, a lot of those. They're very strong. And because of these increasing prices, it's it's cr- causing these communities to to either be broken apart or people are having to stay anyways despite them not being able to afford it just because otherwise they have to leave their communities. So... And that is just something that is in our writing, like right very close to me. So for for me to see that here, I can't imagine uh, how that is in in other writings, which may have even more inflation than this one, because it's not actually in the downtown core. I mean, it's not. We've got about four subway stations, I guess, so it's not too bad, but it's not experiencing the biggest amount of inflation. I see. Yeah, definitely the economics and like if you just do the basic situational math, that's where I have a real problem is who in the government is actually doing the situational math for millennials and when are they going to raise the alarm that we've created too much of a society that is screwing over people 
at a certain age off the jump. Like, and, and just to give some, some pod, the podcast listeners some reference, I just paid off my student loans last year, <laughs> right? Last year, I paid off my student loans. And like for years, I was dealing with that, with that burden, right? Um, I, I'm, 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 you know, I'm able to admit that it, it set me back, right? Like, and by the way, like I, I say this publicly, I don't think my education was worth at all what I paid, right? I, I don't think so. That's my opinion, right? There's other things too, like the, the cost of everything is going up, housing or housing is going up and rent every year, no matter what they're increasing at. Uh, there's many condos in Toronto, which do not even have rent control, right? The older ones do, but the newer ones do not have rent control. They can price that up as much as they want, right? Um, there's other things too. Like uh, in my previous podcast, I, I talked about even just phones, like how expensive a phone is nowadays. It's like a thousand bucks. You need to get a new one every two years because they stop updating the software. They don't even include the adapter, right? Uh, these are things that, you know, that a younger generation cries about that is, is quite unfair, that is affecting their ability to be economically sustainable, even in a little bit, that the government just ignores, right? I, I think when I'm in that podcast, I, you know, the most radical thing I said was, you know, the government of Canada protects all minorities except young people, right? There's something about it where th there's no such thing as social security for young people. And I think my problem is, you know, it's a society used to be about creating something so that young people can be successful. <laughs> Right. You want to create a society where no matter their background their, their, you know, their ability, no matter where they, you know, what language they speak, you know, whatever subjects they were good at, bad at at school, that they should be able to succeed. Right. And somewhere we lost the script where anyone below a certain age, you are on your own. You know, you're on your own. You'll figure it out. You have your youth. Pat you on the back. Good luck to you. Yeah. People right? used and to peak at like 25 or 26. You know, I mean, and maybe we're talking Victorian era or whatever, but still, it's, I, was... I, it was society used to be architected so that you could stand a chance. Right. And somewhere along the lines, we've lost the script. These social systems are not helping people the ways they could. And I also think there has been some some priority shift amongst the base. I, I think I think in many ways, this this boomer base is quite toxic. Um, I, I do not feel they have a regard for young people. Um, if they did, we'd have better systems that reflect it. They have architected a system which uh, is is not uh, designed to help younger people succeed. In fact, they've taken away many of those those privileges. And I mean, for us, it's almost too late, right? Like we are we are you know rapidly approaching our thirties. But I mean, the exciting thing about you being in office is it's it's still not too late for people younger than us, right? There will be new people walking through that door. Um, very quickly, I wanted to just transition to uh, GPT-3 and AI. Uh, I'm sure my audience is <laughs> wondering. <Yeah. laughs> um, what, what are your thoughts on GPT-3? How are you finding it? What about AI in general? Does it excite you? Do you see some potential that AI could be used in government, obviously in very safe, controlled ways that isn't biased? Uh, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it's very exciting because, I mean... Well, the fact that it's able to use so much data to to create something that's very human-like, it's it's amazing, and it's 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 great because like there's a lot of times where you may just not have the time to to contextualize uh, data or responses or or even um, yeah certain 
certain messaging that you have to do to certain constituents, maybe even making sure that if you are translating that it's it's um, that it's appropriate and even just outside of politics just uh just being able to enjoy sto like stories and art and entertainment that it could be generated from that although i think currently it is a bit tricky that it's limited in terms of input so like you can't you can't just feed it a full like a like a bill or something and get it to read the bill and say hey well what do you make of this and then no because i guess the the purpose is that you have to follow the constraints that you're given and that is that's why it works is when you add constraints then it gives you uh, flexibility in other areas so i i understand and, and maybe i'm also wrong in that the the versions of gpt3 that i've used do have these limitations and maybe there are ones that are coming out soon that don't aren't as limited so um but yeah i mean th there's so many ways which uh politicians themselves could potentially use it and and, and even actually you know m maybe Th there could be aspects of it where and, and i haven't really i haven't talked to you about this before because we've been talking about other things and i, I mean maybe we it's just time to replace politicians <laughs> 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 like no i mean so what let's let's look at the the job of a politician and it's it's a couple things it's it's listening to um local people local issues as well as local experts and aggregating it like across various channels you aggregate information and figuring out what needs to be represented and I'm not, I'm not like I'm not thinking about following party platforms here I'm just I'm just speaking hypotheticals that you know because politicians love to put their own interests in in, in front of others that's just uh how they love to act and uh, like they'll they'll come up with things like hey you know i've 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 a house i have many houses maybe even i i want to help in so let's let's say we'll, we'll help investors and we'll help landlords and that way i'll indirectly be helped or my family will be helped um even though no one's asking for that people want to they want to help we want to help families we want to help young people be able to afford their first homes. And uh, I think that if, if you had AI, like taking this data, aggregating it, they'd probably come up with some actual policies that, I don't know, I mean, would be potentially better than the ones that people are suggesting. I mean, that's super exciting. I, I agree with you. Like if you look at the role at a really simplified level, like it is summarizing information, not having your own interests, not being corrupt, synthesizing it, and then generating content called a bill to like, to, that makes everybody happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, look, the, 
the the biases are, are a real problem though right like i think like and i'm sure you and i would even you and i were very similar we would have different definitions of what is an unbiased ai right like what what would i consider biased unbiased what would you say when is it fair when is it not fair and i mean part of the other thing is just the adoption within the governments themselves right i think governments exist to maintain their existing order right um i think it takes a certain open-mindedness for any government to implement this in any capacity certainly any meaningful one oh actually i was i was not thinking that i, I was thinking actually use the biases but it's 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 not like i think that bias actually is important in this case and what i mean is that um like the whole reason why you have local representatives in in canada we have very very localized representatives it's like not like state wide i'm not sure how it works exactly in the states but it, we have people like you represent the needs of your specific area and like my area is about 70,000 people uh, 70,000 voters i think 100,000 people for example and so i think that biases actually can be okay as long as you're you're weighting all the biases equally um and and so if you had a way for people to complain and actually i'm as a candidate i'm getting emails every day of people saying hey make let's let's talk about this what do you think about that and so if you were to aggregate all these uh, asks and then aggregate various solutions you know yes it would be biased to, especially because people usually only voice things when they're unhappy they don't really voice it when they're happy um <laughs> so yeah you, you'll get some bias but i was actually saying that it would replace a candidate or you'd have a person who is loyal to the the ai <laughs> that's a weird way of putting it but basically somebody who is there just because people have to be representing um the position like there's no there's no law that allows a computer to be the member of parliament but if you had <laughs> right but if you had somebody who was willing to be loyal to the output then it, it is technically possible to have that like a, like a real true figurehead like a real true figurehead. Yeah. yeah. That's an interesting <laughs> scenario. Yeah. Thank, thank you for the, the nuance is important. Like, I, I agree with you. Like all, all data sets have biases, right? I, I agree with you on that. Um, uh, very quickly. So just, uh, I wanted to mention, uh, so I believe Kamal's campaign, uh, which I've also been helping with is the first political campaign to use GPT three. Uh, we used it to write some press releases. Um, I believe we're the first, I could be wrong, but there's a little bit of a tidbit and a uh, little piece of history there, <laughs> if anybody's wondering. And one of the things Kamal and I learned is to get more in the habit of using GPT-3. I know that's like a crazy endorsement, but like, you know, we would have been brainstorming. We would have thought, how about this? How about that? What sounds better? And then we'd be like, oh, let's just ask GPT-3 <laughs> and we'd have an answer in like five minutes. But the important thing is to be in the habit of doing that, right? Like you need to, you need to be in the habit of this tool is available to you. You just need to remember to use it and check with it. Sometimes you should check with it first before you try to, you know, exhaust your own mental energy. Yeah, we actually had it uh, generate the idea for 
for an event uh, for because we are really focusing on housing and um, basically came up with the idea of doing a candlelit vigil for the death of affordable housing. And I, I think that uh, it's a really catchy and entertaining idea uh, for a very serious topic. And um, But what was interesting about this event is that GPT-3 can't factor in the, the fact that if you do start planning these too late, uh, you know, sometimes nobody will show up. And uh, so it's a really funny story because nobody really knew about it. And uh, maybe, maybe, the, maybe it's actually GPT-3's fault and it just sounded catchy to us and to people, they weren't able to resonate with it. And I think that's just one of the interesting parts about being a pioneer in this space is that you can make mistakes and you don't know where the mistakes lie, whether it's in your own fault or in uh, listening too closely, but it's that's just part of the process, I think. Yeah, like certainly when you're the first to do anything, um, you're going to take some bullets and it's simply because nobody has ever done it before. You're finding the path. You're finding what works. But I, I, I will say this. I mean, the idea of GPT-3 and AI is, um, you know, it comes up with the concept. It may write it for you. But now we are liberated. We're not doing that anymore. We're liberated to do other things, right? Like promoting the event, telling our friends about it, right? Like since that workload, part of that workload is done, we should have we should be using that time productively for the actual goals we have, right? Like the actual goals, we like number of people showing up, right? Like, you know, those kinds of things. But, you know, in real life, everything is complex, right? I, I'm not sure, like AI or otherwise, everything is complex, right? Um, and uh, it's ex execution. GPT-3 is not executing. GPT-3 does not have a Rolodex of volunteers that can get to show up. <laughs> you know, it doesn't know any unions <laughs> that it could just call to be like, hey, I need you to cover this event. Um, so just, uh, approaching the end here. So, uh, I wanted to ask you, so, uh, you know, I, I view you as a technology leader. When we think of politics and leadership, we don't often think about technology, but the world is changing, right? Uh, people look to Mark Zuckerberg, people look to Sundar Pichai, uh, Tim Cook, and we do see them as leaders. And what I'm noticing is even on top of that is often whatever they decide first all the other kinds of businesses follow. So with COVID, it was the Silicon Valley companies first who said everyone's going to work from home and they did it roughly a month before true lockdowns started happening, right? And then once they did that and then they, are, they have always been leading the way, they've been saying, listen, you're not coming back until the fall and even then we'll see, right? Um, and so people are looking to tech leadership for leadership. And so as a technology leader, I've, I've seen you, you know, take the mantles on, on various things you were driving uh, um, in, in the workplace. Uh, like, why, why do you think it's important for technologists to be in office? And, and why, why do you think it's important for technologists to run for office, right? Like, uh, you know, there's probably somebody listening. They, they might not have thought about it before. But as a technologist, why do you think they should also consider doing it just like you are? We look at our lives and I think that when we were younger, our lives were primarily driven by 
by you know probably more so by government than it is now i think that the internet has really really empowered technology companies to be able to govern our lives in ways which we never thought possible and yeah we do have sometimes we think we have choices to disconnect and sometimes we don't i mean in the pandemic it like if you can't go to the grocery store because you're sick then i mean you used to be able to call a pizza place or something and now you have to use instacart and stuff right so it's uh technology is becoming intertwined with our lives and we need to have people who actually understand technology writing the bills and bringing up perspectives because oftentimes politicians well it's, it's not their job to fully i mean it is their job to fully understand the technology but they just don't often have the expertise to understand what's possible and what certain restrictions can what stress certain restrictions can put on uh technology like making sure sometimes that technology is is not too constrained like that it's still open for freedom of speech and how but then also on the other hand making sure it's not too a, a, a like openness like this there's a very fine balance and you know we are as technologists we we understand it we're fanatics we love reading into it and that's kind of what we what we like to do what we like to read what we like to watch and so there's certain things that they often just don't think of so like for example um if you were to i'm going to give you an example of somebody who's of a of a type of space which is not tech to show you how there's certain things that you just may not have thought of so in the disability space in accessibility um you may not most people when they email me to say hey kamal let's do like an interview to find out more on your policy platforms and stuff like most of them i have to ask them to turn on closed captions and it's such a small little thing and it doesn't affect you know it doesn't affect most of the people that they're interviewing but it's still a very important thing to be wary of and turn on for um because you don't always want to ask it's something that affects everybody and so somebody who is in the space of accessibility and disability that's something which they would pick up on and it's something really small and it's the same sort of thing with technology lovers and advocates like us and we see something and we say well why would you solve the problem like that when you can just use the simple technology that's already out there and you know avoid lengthy systems that don't use technology so there there is something about that engineer mindset the problem solving ethos the the mer- the mer- meritocratic approach that is often found in coding organizations and there's also something just about the you know competence and elegance of the solution that engineers take pride in that you know government could really benefit from 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and not yeah. to mention the just the just the knowledge, just the domain knowledge itself is exactly. also very important yeah. for specific technology uh, regulations. Awesome. So I wanted to ask you, was there anything else you wanted to share? Um, not, not that I can think of on the top of my head, actually. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, like I, I guess I think that it, it has been a really interesting journey. Like I have used technology quite extensively for this, you know, not only for events, I, I built my own website because the ones that we were given were really not sufficient. And even, even something as simple as using tech online resources to help with things like using volunteer job boards. Those are things that you can do. You write once and you apply to, you, you put applications on many, many places. It's been very, very helpful to have a technology background for this particular campaign but uh yeah it's it's been been interesting awesome cool so yeah this is a great discussion we covered uh technology ai housing what it's like being a millennial canadian society this is great and also I, i know you personally so it's a fun experience for me as well to bring a bring a close friend on and sort of pick their brain. Um, maybe I should have you back in the future and just get more information out of you about stuff you're up to. If, if So if you don't know, Kamal is like a really interesting person. Like if you get to know him even in real life and, and stuff, like, you know, he's truly a progressive. And I, I one thing that, you know, I, I hope you've, you, that you guys have picked up is he's quite an independent thinker, right? Like uh, uh, when he explained to me his rationale for getting into this race in the first place, um, uh, it's because he sees a path that he can he can truly make a difference. And so, if there's anyone who can do get the get see the path, execute that too, in an, in a refreshing, unconventional way, it's it, I I truly believe it's him. Uh, so Kamal, uh, did you did you have anything you wanted to plug? Is there anything people can do to support you? Uh, like I mentioned, a fair amount of our listeners are Canadian. Obviously, many are from all over the world. So. Based on that, like, you know, what what can people within Canada, maybe within your writing do? What can people within Canada do? What can people outside of Canada do just to support you and, and connect with you? Uh, so inside the uh, inside Canada, I guess you could go to kamalamed.ca slash volunteer and help out with our online phone banks. If that's something which you wanted to help out with, or if you just wanted to contact me and pick my brain. Um, but I think that this is the, the way that I see this is that it, it's more than just me that I'm trying to do this in this campaign. And so if you are outside of the country, there's still ways that you can, you can create change in a technologically and in political way and and that is to to make sure that you know if we all have opinions and we need to make sure that we're there for politicians who are not technologically savvy and most of them are not and so wherever you are like reach out to 
the, the politicians who want, want to be there and listen and and just make sure you're you're heard because otherwise uh it's 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 very unlikely that i mean w- without that we're not going to have politicians who are representing our, our opinion as technologically savvy people that's great uh kamal's uh too too nice and altruistic i i will go ahead and say uh, if you're in the York Center writing, <laughs> vote for Kamal. He's the NDP representative. And uh, obviously, we, we didn't get into the nitty gritty of the platform, but the NDP has incredible stuff uh, planned. And, you know, this election is really important, right? Like, it, it is so critical. Uh, the things that we want, they are on the table, right? The stakes are high and what we want is on the table. And, you know, as as a millennial, I, you know, it is is very heavy. It's even as a techie, I think NDP is is very much in our interests. That's my opinion. Obviously, I encourage you, you know, connect with Kamal. I'm going to include the different social media links to his campaign, get to know the platform. What are they offering and get to know him as a person as well? Um, and of course, the phone bank that Kamal mentioned, that can be done virtually. So you can be anywhere in the country and, and volunteer and help. And Kamal is just a, an awesome guy to know, even in the tech community. Uh, we didn't talk about his his startup, but uh, he's he's also he's playing many games of chess, like five D chess going on like all the time. And so he's just a smart guy to know. Overall. Trusting, I like to. <laughs> you like to mix it up. <laughs> yeah, I've got my hands in many baskets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, anyways, uh, th- thank you, Kamal, for being here. Multimodal by Back Steve. Multimodal by Backseat Future is, is available uh, pretty much everywhere. Uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. I use Pocket Cast. You can find it on there. You can find me on Twitter, embarrassing myself, uh, writing crazy, creative, fun, provocative tweets at B-A-K-Z-T Future. You can follow along with my newsletter where I share just behind the scenes stuff, interesting stuff I'm thinking about, stuff that I don't even talk about on the podcast because some things are better in the written form. That is can be found at bakztfuture.substack.com. And of course, you probably know me first and foremost from my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash bakztfuture. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great day, night, evening, morning, wherever you are. If you're in your house, in your car, driving, road trip, driving to work, whatever, wherever you are in the universe, multiverse, I hope it's awesome. Thank you so much for listening. Have a good one. Bye.